Welcome everybody to episode number 302 of the Extra Podcast. I'm your host, John, and with me this week I have Andy. Andy Steiger in the house. Good to be with you. Thanks for coming, Andy. And we have Jeff with us as well. <laughs> Hi. Andy, I just think it's funny that you're speaking about yourself in the third person now. I do that sometimes. Bo, sometimes. Bo knows. Andy says. Andy knows. Andy knows baseball. Andy, do you remember those? Oh, yeah. Bo knows. <laughs> Come Bo on. knows. Bo knows. Oh, no. Great. Well, we had uh, Global Missions this weekend. and uh, Which is awesome, by yes, the way. Yes, isn't it great? I love it. Every week, every, every, week, every year, holding that booklet. Of yeah. all those missionaries that we support here at Northview, it just fires me up, man. Yeah, I it's encouraging. It. I think it's uh, it, it's great to be a part of a church that values um, missions, not just locally and just what they're doing here, but also helping overseas and, and just seeing the gospel go forth. On that note, we should probably say that there were three projects we were fundraising for, Change Life Center, the Ruth Center, and uh, church planting yes. uh, around the world. And you can still give to that. Yes, you can. And awesome opportunity. I love, you know, because Jeff, you and I, we've even taught up at the Change Life Center on the border of Laos and Thailand. Yeah. It's an incredible ministry. It is. We've been to the Ruth Center in, uh, in Thailand. We work, work with Noi there. So, yeah, good stuff. They're all good ministries. Really um, excellent people doing really great work. Especially, I mean, my heart's particularly warm toward the Change Life Center or the Changing Life Center, I think, as some of the guys up there call it. But the mm-hmm. it, because... I mean, if you can picture in your mind, there's a, the Mekong River is uh, the river I think that separates well Laos right. and uh, and um, Thailand. It also about the size of the, the Fraser down. River, maybe a little bigger, a little bit bigger. It's a, uh, but it's in the middle of nowhere. Like you've, like, from our point of view, you go out there and it's it's very much um, <clears throat> rural, and you go to this little this this uh, this river, and uh, on the shores of it, on the Thai side of the of the river, is this is this. I get compound. Beautiful it's campus. this beautiful campus of of buildings that Northview actually over over the years has has basically built there, and uh, MB Mission runs a training facility there for pastors all over that area, especially among the Kamu people. The Kamu mm-hmm. people is a people group in in Laos, some in Thailand, who um, <clears throat> are having a real revival of sorts. I mean, there are people coming to faith in Christ in huge numbers. Uh, there and the pastors are being trained there by the by the leaders at MB Mission. They come down for what like a week at a time or right. a weekend or something. And Which we... is also practical because <laughs> in Laos there's a lot of persecution going on. Right. So they come across the border. They learn about Jesus. They go back into their village and they're able to minister there. Uh, and th- I mean some stories about guys. I mean I, you and I remember meeting some men. Uh, who's you know shake your hand and there's they've got three fingers on their hands years in prison because they got their fingers chopped off in prison um, as under under threat and they never recanted their belief in Jesus or their willingness to proclaim the gospel and uh, amazing amazing guys uh, in this location we actually had we slept in a basically a sleeping porch with them (laughs) just all next to each other I mean, it was hard for hard because you don't know the language, right? We don't know Thai or we don't know uh, Camus, but usually through translators, we're able to communicate some basic Bible study stuff or uh, stories about the scriptures or ways ways that ministry Very can practical. be done. Yeah, really good stuff, and it's a it's neat. You can just see what the Lord is doing in very out of the way places. Sometimes we think that the gospel is not going forward, right? Because it's not happening in places like Toronto or Washington to quite the degree that it's happening elsewhere. But in countries like Argentina and 
and Thailand and Laos and China and places that are, you know, some places that are tucked away from the media scrutiny. You, you see the gospel going forward and God doing his great work that he's always done in quiet. And uh, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to be able to get together and to, and, and to hear Randy and others talk about what's, what's happening there because they're very connected to, to it all. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, as Andy said, you can still give to that if, if you want to. You can call the office and you can do that, or you can bring your uh, giving with you on the weekend. Just make sure you mark missions on it, and that will go to the appropriate places. So last week we talked a little bit about God's retri- retri- wow, retributive and restorative justice. Um, and we got a question in from one of our listeners about that conversation, and she was asking basically along those lines, if, if that's what God is like, then what is, is that applicable to how we should parent our children? And are there <laughs> techniques or ways that we can go about this, that, that we can learn from God and who we, how he is with his people? Yeah. I want to be careful with some of that in, in the sense that, um, you know, it, it's the Lord's to repay. Okay. So, so when we say that kind of thing, I have an, ex, I have a passage of scripture that tells me that I should not retribute like the Lord would retribute. Okay. So Romans 12, I mentioned it last week, 12 verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My, my point is to make, the, to make the judgment, oh, well, since God is retributive in his judgment, we therefore should be retributive in our judgment. No. Here's a passage that's saying, because God is retributive in his judgment, I can leave it to the retributive judgment of God. And I can actually act peacefully toward those who have wronged me. Now, uh, you know, whether or not that, how does that apply to our parenting? I don't think you should necessarily, retri- you should retribute your kids, you restore your kids. That's the goal. All the time, just restore your children. Is that going to require some retribution? I suppose, you know, I, in some ways. But it's, I'm, in other words, my, it's not our place as human beings to to take revenge, to retribute against someone, except I suppose if you're in the, in the, you know, you carry the stick of the government, right? Norman's 13. The, the government has the right to bear the sword, whatever that means. Right. But that sounds, that's a retributive judgment. So if you're a judge sitting in judgment in a court, you as a representative of the government do have that authority. But other than that, I, I don't, I'm just saying that I, I, the Bible is basically telling us to restore and to seek peace and to live at peace and to and to do good to people even if they wrong us. And do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Do you think sometimes we get confused on this, Jeff? Because <laughs> we we have a wrong understanding. We misunderstand who was wronged uh, in the sense that we'll see that we don't see it as God who's being wronged. But it's it's us that's being wronged, or yeah, and it can be both, right? I mean, I'm thinking about the parable of the of the uh, prodigal sons, or the when the younger son goes away and he comes to his senses and he comes back and he prepares a speech that he's going to deliver to his dad when he gets back. He says, um, "Father, I, I'm I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." That that's right. 
you, you've sinned against heaven in a Jewish concept that you don't use the name of God, right? They put heaven in place of it. That's why you have phrases in Matthew's gospel like kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God, but he's writing to a Jewish audience and wants to respect that. My point is that the, the, the sin has been done both against the individual, his father, and against God, whose authority he has basically kicked to the curb because God authoritatively told him to love his dad and respect his father. So, yeah, it's both. And oftentimes um, we, we only see it as our, ourselves and not uh, being a sin against God. I will add one, one thing here, yeah. though, that I want, I want to make sure that um, the critique and, and, the, and the rationale that many use uh, against the retributive judgment of God, that they want to get rid of that idea in their theology. The, the critique they have is, man, if God's retributive, then that's going to give people the authority to be retributive. So Christians then will will you know bomb people and attack them and I, I know of a several different I mean I, I know of a documentary that basically makes that argument that it's because we believe God's judgment is retributive that we act in these mean ways because so so therefore we need to get rid of the retributive judgment of God my response is no God is retributive and we need to read Romans 12 and understand that we're supposed to leave it to the retributive judgment of God right yes it's, it doesn't necessarily follow that because God's retributive, his people who follow him are retributive. Not everything that God has the right to be is what we have a right to be. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. I'm not omnipresent. Isn't it kind of interesting, though, in our parenting, you you see something very similar in that, it, say you have two children and you are parenting <coughs> the one, right, that acted, acted out, you wouldn't want that child to be retributive to their brother. No. Right? Why? Well, because you're the one right, you that's going to make sure that justice is He doesn't is have authority. Right. Yeah. And that's the point. You don't have authority. And so the question is, well, do you have authority to retribute against your kids? I'm still going to say that all judgment or children in our day should be restorative, should be aimed at restoration ultimately. Right? Mm-hmm. So, but, but God has a right to retribute ultimately. Right? So that, again, I think this passage applies. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So moving on from that, it was just a, a quick listener question. We had uh, our men's conference this weekend. It was great. It was fantastic. It was really good. Andy and Jeff were both speaking there this weekend. I got fired up. Yeah, he did. I, yeah, brought, he was, I, he brought, I brought the heat. Did you? Did you I bring did. any light or is it just heat? No, it was mainly heat. Okay. Just, just the yeah. heat. Kept the warm room. <laughs> Uh, for for those of you that were there, thank you for coming out. But uh, we had some questions come in. We had a, a place where guys could ask some questions about what they were hearing. And so we did have a couple of questions come in. Um, so we were talking about the Reformation and some of the ideas that came out of the Reformation. And <coughs> sorry, excuse me. We had one one of the talks was focused around uh, God's unconditional grace for his people. And so you should make it clear that uh, it's the 500th anniversary yes, for those of you are listening that of the reformation this year. Uh, so 500 years ago, 1517 is when Martin Luther pounded the 95 theses onto the door of that Wittenberg church, yep. Germany. Uh, and so celebrations are happening all around the world to celebrate essentially Protestantism mm-hmm. and uh, what, 
we believe as Protestants is the core of the gospel, the, the understanding of, of uh, justification by faith and a number of other issues. The, the Reformation was summed up by, by um, ensuing generations under what were called the five solas of the Reformation, yeah. five onlys. Which, which were really about authority. Yeah. Where, where is authority about? Because I think some, it's helpful for some people to know that Protestant comes from the word protest. Yeah. And it was to protest where the authority was coming from. Yeah, it was basically a, pre- a repudiation of the Pope. On, That's right. And the assumption that the Pope has authority and the, or the church, the magisterium, as they call it. The, 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 the Roman Catholic Church has the authority to tell you certain things. So, namely... They have the authority to tell you how to, how to understand what a scripture verse says. In response to that belief, the, the uh, Reformation or the Reformers said, uh, no, sola scriptura, me- meaning only scripture, not, uh, not, not scripture divorced from its background. Or They weren't saying that there aren't you know, important, you shouldn't listen to imp- scholars and what they understand about it. They were just saying that, that the Pope... What the Pope has to say about this is not it, the authority, authority comes from the scripture. Yeah, it's not, not authoritative over this. Yeah. That our doctrine should be ground uh, found in the scriptures, and and it should be it should be driven from there. Which, by the way, Martin Luther was in a debate with a, a guy by the name of Sylvester. That he he was the chief theologian of the Pope at the time, and he basically this was really where it became. The, the protest, is that he said, the Sylvester guy said, listen, even if the Pope was corrupt, you know, it, he still couldn't, he, he, he went on to say, he still couldn't be removed from power. Right. So he wasn't, you know. He's it, God's man. Yeah. It, like, this is absolute power. Doesn't matter if he's corrupted or not. Right. There's no, there's no standard by which you can judge the Pope because he is the standard because yeah. he's God's representative on, on earth. And so this is what they were. So sola scriptura is one of them. So, sola fide, sola, uh, only faith. These are Latin phrases, right? So only faith as opposed to faith and works, right? That you're justified by faith alone. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, sola gratia, so, so only grace, soli, sola Christus, only Christ, as opposed to uh, you know redemption through Mary or any other thing like that. Soli Deo, glo- only to, to only God be the glory. So these five solas kind of became the rallying cry for the Reformation, and so in celebration, uh, together with all Protestant churches all over the place. Uh, who will be doing different things this year. The men's conference this year was around uh, the five solas of the Reformation. Was it five? Do you guys, we do five of them? Yeah, we did all five. Yeah, so I spoke souls. on Christ alone. John, you spoke on? Soli Deo Gloria. And Jeff? Sola Scriptura, only only Scripture. Yes. And we had a couple, a couple of Greg so, was involved yeah, and, Greg Paul and Paul was involved as And well. they also spoke. So yep. we had some questions come in. I'm not sure from which sessions, but uh, so one of the questions is, Based on one of the talks, one of the, the men asked, what is the difference between being called or versus chosen? Or is there a difference? Depends on how that language is used and what passage of scripture it's used, right? Yeah. Uh, mo- most theologians would argue that there's a general call. Uh, and then there's a debate about whether or not that general, whether there there's uh, a um, an effectual call is the language that is used by theology. So Andy and I would have a disagreement about whether or not there's an effectual call. Okay. Um, so would Luther, by the way. But <laughs> but uh, the the general call is the belief that the gospel. When I go and I preach the gospels, the room full of thirty people, right? And I and I preach the gospel to them. That is called the general call 
of the gospel. Right? I'm calling these people, right? But that's there are some within that room who will experience what 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 I would call the effectual call, or at least from scripture, I would say that there are passages, for example, that say, um, one of the most famous is Romans eight twenty eight, uh, and we, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not everybody, that's not referring to the gospel call. That's referring to the, the call in the sense of somebody who's called to salvation, Right. And so then that's why the next verse says, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined. Those who predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So the call of God is an, an elective thing in that passage. So the, the point is that the language is used in different places. Sometimes the word call can be a shorthand or for, for chosen. And sometimes uh, the call is, is being spoken about how, you know, uh, Jesus would call to all to repent, for example, which is true. So yes, yes and yes. It just depends on how authors use it. By the way, we use language like this all the time, right? We use language that sometimes the word, we we use some words to mean something specialized and sometimes we mean it in a more general sense. So that's my best go at an answer. And so really it would come down to how are you going to nuance what you mean by call? Right. Um, I think along those lines, we had a, a second question, and it, it, it follows right along that. It, if God's call is, is like that, can we resist God's sovereign call? That, was, that would have been my next question, right? right? That I would say, well, you have to nuance what you mean. And so now you have to nuance, well, what, what do you mean by call and can it be resisted? So I want to throw something your way, Jeff. But my, my short answer to that, okay. Joseph, before you throw it in, sure. in it, is depends on how you're using the word call. So when you say sovereign call, my response, I believe no. Andy said it's gonna, should say yes here, given what I know to be Andy's viewpoints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say you can resist God's general call. So, can, so is, if someone is called, uh, can they resist it? Absolutely. Sure. But if somebody is called in the elective sense, can they, can they resist it? No. Why would they? Right. They won't is the point. Can they, can they resist it? I suppose they could if they really wanted to, but that would be a sign that they're not called in the sense that Paul uses in Romans 8, 28 and 29, for example. And it's not just there. There are other places in scripture that Romans 9 uses the same yeah. language. There's yeah. not, I mean, but Andy's going to say, Andy's because gonna ask he, a he doesn't believe in the elective, because he wouldn't believe in a, in a, in a, in a effectual call, he would say, no, you can always resist God's call. Right. And so in that, then I would make a distinction. I'm wondering how this sits with you, Jeff, where I'd make a distinction between between being predestined and predetermined. And in that, I would say, and I'll just use an example for our listeners. I would say that my sons, I have predetermined my sons to go to college. I have not predetermined them to go to college, although I have predestined them. I've set things in a a way for that call. I... Oh, they then you could used the choose word predetermined otherwise. both there. I didn't. Oh, follow. did I? Yeah, yeah you, you did. Sorry. So uh, although I have predestined, sorry, although I predestined my son to go to college, right. I have not predetermined him to go to college. Yeah. yeah, no, I think you're using the language of predestined the right way. So I think the language of predestined is a to, to, a, to a destination, to, a, to a, a thing. So the passage that I cited there, uh, for we know that, or sorry, um, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so it's predestination is to a, 
in that case is to conformity to Jesus. So, so God, whoever those is in that path, that's the subject of that language. Whoever those is, God has predestined them to conformity to Jesus. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I, my thing is that passage for me, uh, Romans eight twenty eight and 29 creates a situation where I just see those people who God foreknew are also those he glorified. He doesn't glorify everyone. Therefore, he doesn't pre- foreknow everyone. Therefore, he doesn't predestine everyone. Therefore, he doesn't call anyone. Therefore, he doesn't justify everyone. Therefore, he, because he doesn't glorify everyone. So to me, it's an unbreakable link in those, in that passage. And the reason that Romans 8, 8 is such a powerful text is because it's essentially saying that, look, what the salvation is of the Lord. God has accomplished it in his plan for a group called the, the those, right? And if you are a those, right, who's been called according to his purpose, meaning that you respond to the gospel in that sense, that's how you've experienced in the present time. You can, you can be assured that your salvation is, is secure for all ages. That's why in Romans 8, 31, it says, what shall we say in response to these things? If God's for us, who shall be against us? That was, by the way, the, one of the major points of my talk at the men's conference was that God has promised in no other name but Jesus, that, uh, that that you can have salvation and that he will see that salvation through to completion then in Jesus' name. Hmm. It is in Jesus that he has given us that promise we read in Hebrews 7 that Jesus is the guarantor of our salvation, hmm. His, hmm. his body. And, and this was something that was interesting for Luther is that he saw the body of Christ like a wedding ring. That it was, it, he loved this idea that Christ's body was given for you. This is the symbol of God's commitment to you that he will see it through. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that often happens when we have this conversation is it, it stays very intellectual. Well, did we get the answer right? And I want to, sorry, you were going to well, add just gonna, something. Look, the, que- the question ultimately is how does the, Bi- how does the Bible present these, these issues? Yes. And so this is where the debate comes in and there is a, dis- there's some disagreement about it, but like, I'm not making up, Ideas about like effectual and these these the distinctions that are being made by by uh, you know a lot of the Protestant reformers are distinctions that are made because the Bible uses language like call differently in different places right it also uses language like the will of God in different places sometimes you get the will of God as something that isn't done right Uh, this is God's will your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. I, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've been around a lot, a lot of Christians and God's will of sanctification and sexual in uh, abstaining from sexual immorality is not something that's actually happening all the time. It's God's will in the sense that he wants that to take place, but it's not happening. And yet there's passage that says who, who resists his will, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, that, that's a passage in, in Daniel four or Job, uh, thirty. Uh, sorry, Job forty-two. So you get these. So who resists his will? And the question Job's asking is nobody. And the answer to the question is nobody does. So how do you understand will there? Well, there's a will of God that is done all the time, and there's a will of God that's not done all the time. And so we have to come up with some nuances now. Likewise, there's a call of God that goes to everybody, and there's a call of God that goes to those who it's effectual for. And we use the same word call, but sometimes it means, in, in the context of the passage, it means general, and sometimes it means effectual. And 
I'm thankful that I stand on the shoulders of lots of people who are smarter than me who come up with really good categories that try to address these things. But that doesn't mean there's not debate over them. Absolutely. And that you can't, the, but the question is, well, how does the Bible, how do we understand what the Bible is saying when it uses this language? If, if somebody's not convinced on that, by the way, uh, I think of, of the popular passage, uh, Matthew uh, 28, 19, go and make <coughs> disciples of all nations. You could use that word make. What does that mean to go make disciples? Yeah. Am I supposed to go force people to become a disciple right. of Jesus? Yeah. Or do I convince and urge them to become a disciple of Jesus? Right. Like, and it's trying to understand the passages in their context and then understanding other passages that have similar ideas and putting them together. We work with an assumption as, Chris, as Christians, as Protestant Christians who have a high view of scripture, especially, we work with the assumption that the Bible, it coheres and that it, the, the scripture can interpret scripture and that pla- there are places where it's clearer and places where it's less clear. And so we use the more clear places to try to help us understand the less clear places. Mm-hmm. That, does, that doesn't mean our theology is airtight or we've answered all the questions. You know, what a sad theology you'd have if you had all the questions answered, right? There's no room for God to be mysterious. Right. But we're tr- when we're dialoguing and discussing these things, this is what you're doing is trying to figure out how the Bible uses the language claiming, like, throw your hands up in the air, man, I don't know, I'm going to have to hold these two things together at some points, and another point saying, well, wait, let's not do that too soon, because I think we can nuance some of this a little bit better. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was going to ask right before that, how does how does this change or affect how we live if, because I think oftentimes people can hear this debate and it and it just, they, they get kind of tired of it because it's like, well... Which debate? The the election versus, yep. um, you know, God just chooses those who yep. he sees are going to choose him. And and they, they get tired of the debate because it just stays there. It doesn't actually affect how we see how, to, how we live our lives or how that's applied to our lives. So I guess the question would be, how should we then live if, if what... Jeff is saying is true, how does that change or affect how we live our lives? Well, first of all, I, I think we should, you know, we can emphasize some of the disagreement. Andy and I agree a, a great deal mm-hmm. on a lot of things. And one of the things that we agree on, even in this debate, is that God is sovereign Absolutely. and that people are responsible. Right. And that has huge implications on both sides. I would say it's huge implications in the sense that because God is sovereign, uh, you can be assured that God will work out his purposes. Uh, in in his world, that he's not out of control, the world, even though it's spinning, whatever. And even if even if you believe in a certain kind of human freedom that God can't touch or whatever, God is still powerful enough to affect what he's going to do, what he wants to get done. That's that's got, we agree on that. We also agree that people are responsible for the choices they make, genuinely responsible, and will be held to account for what they do. And that nobody who wants Jesus will be denied him. Nobody will. And so if you want if you want Jesus, you should follow him. Right? And you will be everyone will be held to account and it will be a just day when we all they all stand before God and there will be nobody who will be able to say, "Well, I'm you should, you know, you're to be blamed God because you didn't choose or you didn't do this or you didn't do that." That those words aren't going to come out of your mouth. You will be held mm-hmm. to account for what it is that you've done and not chosen the way you ought to have. So like we agree on that, how we nuance those things and how we answer some of the questions on what did God know? When did he know it? How did he know it? How did he make his decisions based upon that? Are there counterfactuals? Where, like, and isn't it interesting too, though, if you were to throw Ezra into this and Kyle Meeker into this, 
you're going to get that nuanced even. Right. But we agree. The reason yeah, that we, we work together yeah. on a pastoral staff, even even though it reminds me dis- disagreements about those nuances, is that we're agreeing that, no, no, God is sovereign. People are responsible. Yeah. And and that makes a huge difference in your life. You should feel very yeah. secure as a Christian because God is in charge. But you should also Amen. recognize that you have a responsibility to respond in faith to all that God does. And to, and and believe, repent, believe now, right? That's something that I find is significant is the gospel is preached the same. No matter how you're going to nuance that, it's the same gospel that's preached. It's the same authority going back to the, the, the five solas. It's the, it's the same authority that, ha- that doesn't change. Yeah. Thanks guys. Uh, I really appreciate your, your candor and, and the, the way this discussion has gone. We're going to wrap it up there. If you have any questions, as you can see, we're trying to answer some more of your listener questions here. So if you have any questions, feel free to email those in extra at northview.org, uh, or you can send us a message uh, on Facebook. And before we finish this, we do need to have one short conversation, uh, about a very important matter, I'm sorry to break in, uh, and that is, it's Tuesday today, and Game Seven between the Edmonton Oilers and the uh, Anaheim Ducks is happening a, a day from now, oh, Wednesday. And so people, will be, some some of you will be listening to this and know the outcome, but I think we need to come out and claim what we believe will happen in this game. Andy, you have a long storied history of hockey fandom. Yeah, man. And I would like to hear your expert analysis. Please do. Regarding regarding hockey and it's yes. the the game itself. And how, who do you think will score the goals and what will the final score be? Well, see, listen, Jeff, because oil is such an essential component to my car and the working of my engine, that's about the most I know about that oilers. That is the extent of Andy's and oiler knowledge. Is that, yeah, so, so, you, so you're would, with the oilers. I am. I you am prefer because you got oil over ducks. The parts. You know what they say? Ducks can't swim in oil. Yeah. I, I see that. I, on the other hand, <laughs> am going to be cheering for the ducks. Because you're American. No, no, he's no, an underdog guy. No, no, no. No, the ducks. Because mm, I maybe, a little bit. I have given my word to all the Oiler fans who I know that I will choose for the ducks because my teams never win anything. Ah, so if I cheer, and them out. what's interesting about this is that every time I've seen any of the action in these games, I have seen, there, there have been three games in this series that I have not watched a single second of, and they happen to be the three games that the Anaheim Ducks have won. If I ever watch any part of it, the Oilers win. So I all I'm all I'm saying <laughs> is that you're going to be watching. If you want night. your team to win, get me to cheer for the other team and genuinely cheer for them, so that I watch the games. So I will be I will be trying to watch this game and cheering for the Ducks. <laughs> well, there you go. There you have it. So, but out Jeff, Jeff Buckingham, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, cheering for the Anaheim Ducks so that he can support all of you Oilers fans. That's right. how much he cares. Yeah. Appreciate right. it. I've been to both places though and I'm let's I think we should be honest. Yes. I would prefer to be in Anaheim mm. as opposed yeah. to Edmonton. Yeah. I'm going to have to say And that. and that's not a knock on Edmonton. Yeah, it is. Except for the fact that it, it is. It's not <laughs> Anaheim. <laughs> Thank you for that insightful three minutes gentlemen we will end it there (laughs) 